When it comes to decision-making, there are several things leaders need to use. Using governing insight, the insights from the uh, governance frameworks, the, the ecosystem that they have, the data is really, really valuable to support leaders in their decision-making. And it isn't just because organisations don't want their leaders to use their gut. There's a level of safety when leaders are using all of those insights to support as part of their overarching decision-making because it's not actually, I just felt like it was the right decision to make and therefore I made it. And then when people come back afterwards and say, why did you make that decision, Laura? I just felt like it was the right thing. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do. Because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally, to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm really excited for you to learn from our guest this week, Lisa Coletta. Lisa, the founder and managing director of the Governance Collective, is Australasia's leading edge corporate governance organization. She's a passionate corporate governance change leader who leads a collective of senior specialists that shape drive and implement right-sized governance policy and related frameworks and processes holistically in businesses. Having worked in both the private and public sector with a career that spans well over two decades in governance at varying levels, Lisa has defined, rejuvenated, and co-created governance frameworks and processes enabling effective decision-making in organizations. She has done this through advising chairs, boards, committees, managing directors, and executives on how to implement heart-centered corporate governance, enabling active and adaptive management approaches to aid in delivery of their business strategies. Lisa is passionate about executive coaching and mentoring, guiding and providing thought leadership to boards, executive management, and governance professionals. She relishes the opportunity to support the continuous improvement of their personal effectiveness and mindsets to enable the delivery of co-created governance within their organization at both strategic and operational levels. In our discussion, we talked about the broad umbrella of governance and organizations and what that really tactically means. 
That may seem like a catch-all word to you, governance, or maybe it's a new word. Governance can mean a lot of things, and we unpacked what it means, how decisions are made, how policies are documented, and most importantly, why it matters within organizations and for you as a leader. I love Lisa's no-nonsense approach to simplify things and make them actionable. Make sure you listen to this whole episode, including a personal example that I shared from my corporate career where governance was at the crux of an issue in my own experience. Let's get started. Well, Lisa, I want to welcome you here to this space. Thank you so much for being a guest and welcome to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Laura. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm so excited. So we are connected in lots of different ways now, but we first met each other as part of Leadership Global. We're both on the same kind of uh, executive cohort board, how do you describe it, forum kind of thing. And we met each other that way. So I've only met you on Zoom, which I love. We're always like this little (laughs) box on our computer. And I consider you like one of my, you know, business friends that, and that just happens to live in Australia. And I had the opportunity to invite you to be a guest lecturer at the university that I teach at. And I have heard only amazing things from them. They loved it. And so I knew that I had to have you as a guest because we just talked about so many things that I thought were so relatable. Um, and I'm just really excited to have you today. Oh, look, thank, thank you so much for having me. And meeting your students as part of your class uh, as a guest lecturer was an absolute blast. And if I recall correctly, I think I might have been on my birthday. Did we do that on my birthday? It was, yes. And I think it was like 1am or something Sydney time. And I was up at 1am. Yeah, I remember. It was it was great. And and you you create such amazing learning environments, Laura. So I, I think that to invite me in and be part of that circle and part of that learning environment was really an absolute pleasure. So thank you for that. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I am excited to kind of extend some of the same conversations that we had here. But before we get dug into the topic, which is yeah. really your thought leadership, I, yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about your, you know, kind of life stuff. Like, who are you? What is your career story? All of the good, all the good things. All the good things. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try and keep it short and sweet. So, Laura, I have had a 25-year corporate career. And like a lot of senior leaders in organizations, well, I really enjoyed what I did. I moved up the ranks. I did a couple of degrees, all that usual stuff. I found myself for probably about five or six years ago in this place and space where I was developing and delivering great governance environments for organizations that I worked for. And I've had this realization, like a lot of us do, where I just felt like there was more I could do and more I could be. And um, I think it really stemmed from the fact that I love co-creating amazing environments that really deliver great decision-making outcomes for the businesses. But as soon as I put them in place, I actually, when I was honest with myself, got bored really quickly because Mm. I'm a builder, I'm not a maintainer. Mm. I can maintain, but I'm always looking for something more, looking for how we can, you know, embed and improve and continually learn and grow and, and increase maturity over time. And I just found myself being drawn to more and more new roles because I was looking for that next opportunity to learn and grow myself and also bring the organizations that I was working with on the journey as well and I actually really did know deeply that I was best my purpose in life was to share my um, knowledge skills and experience with others and I knew that I really needed to take that big step and get out there on my own and deliver the types of insights and thought leadership and perspectives that I was doing for my employers but to different organizations of all types, because I really, I really enjoyed the variety and I really loved meeting wonderful people who wanted to work towards common goals. And so I took the plunge about four, four, nearly five years ago now and started my organization, the Governance Collective. And we've been providing um, corporate governance related services uh, since then, since that time. And so while things were a little bumpy during COVID, uh, I was still able to provide services to um, to my clients via Zoom. Uh, and Zoom just, I guess, is just embedded as part of the way we 
where we live now, which is a wonderful thing. And it means that I can service clients all over the world. There's no limitations anymore around me being in Sydney and just serving, you know, clients here in Australia. So that's kind of me in a nutshell from a professional standpoint. Um, from a personal standpoint, I am I live in Sydney, in a suburb in Western Sydney, and I have two children. And um, my children are no longer really children. They're actually young adults now, <laughs> 15 and 21. And so um, I'm at that stage in my life where um, I've actually got a lot more time, which is kind of nice. I'm not used to having it, but there it is. I've got a little bit more time. And I'm in the process at the moment of writing my first book. And I will be, I know, right? And I will be also as part of the evolution or the, you know, the delivery of my book, starting a podcast as well. When people ask me what I do, it's a really interesting thing because a lot of a lot of people haven't necessarily come across that word governance before. And so I've kind of made myself uh, <laughs> made myself a little bit of a promise that I don't use the word too much. The best way I can describe what I do is I go into organizations and I help them clean up a lot of that corporate BS that gets put in place, uh, where leaders have done their very, very best to apply boundaries and rules and policy and governing lines to create great decision-making environments, but they haven't quite hit the mark. And the knock-on effect to, to that occurring is that they, um, they're creating environments where people are not very happy because they don't have the space to do their jobs, they don't have the authority to actually make decisions to get their jobs done, and it's contributing to you know organisational cultures where people are just not aligned with the organization and delivering outcomes so that's kind of who I am and where I'm at right now well thank you so much for sharing and I love how you describe governance because I think it is just so misunderstood when you were in corporate what kinds of roles did you have like what were the titles of the roles that in places and spaces that you kind of played in yeah, so um, very early in my career, I started a role in a government entity, an electricity distributor, in fact, and uh, that organisation morphed into three different organisations, three or four now, I think, from memory, because it kept merging and changing and part of the business was sold and it kept morphing into the same, into different sort of entities. And as it morphed, I moved into different roles over time. And so like a lot of people, when you first leave school, especially a lot of females way back then, um, I started in an admin role because I just didn't know what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And for lots of different reasons, I didn't necessarily have mentors around me to support me and recognize my, um, you know, my skills and my strengths or whatever else. And while I was uh, working, I started a um I started an undergraduate degree, um, supported through the organisation I was working in, then did a postgraduate degree in management because I just didn't know what discipline I wanted to actually apply. So I did a master's in management. Um, during that time, I was in, I'd moved from sort of more administrative based roles into analyst and analytical based roles. And then I started moving into roles where I was owning operations. So I was an operations okay. manager, two different roles like that where I was actually accountable, even though I didn't know it at the time, I was actually accountable for delivering governance and leadership for a group where the rules were being made at the top level of the organisation and they were permeating through. And my job was being the interface, the steward and the interface, so that my division or my area of accountability were actually aligning their activities to the policy position of the organisation. And so I was in those types of roles for a little while. And then over time, as I moved up the organizational hierarchy, I moved into a into branch manager roles, a branch manager role where I was the head of um, strategy, performance and governance. And I've had similar roles where I've been, you know, the, the manager of risk and um, compliance, governance, risk and compliance, different kinds of roles like that, where I was I was owning the delivery or the implementation of rules set by others. Okay. And then over time, I moved up the hierarchy to the point where I was actually the one defining the frameworks, working with the board committees and the board to shape frameworks to deliver those outcomes and basically draw those defining lines of accountability and applying governance across the organisation and supporting 
those stewards that I used to be once upon a time in implementing within their own areas so that they've got a really nice balance between working in the framework and working on the frameworks that I owned. And at one stage, I think I owned probably about 12 or 14 governance frameworks, different areas of focus where I needed to great, create great relationships with the people across the business because no one reported to me to deliver those um, within the divisional environments, but I am relying on them on behalf of the board and the board committees to have them filter information up and for us to be able to communicate information down. So lots of different roles like that, Laura, I found myself in. And um, over time, I just found that even when I worked in different organisations applying those same um, frameworks and working with boards more and more, um, I found myself moving into a company secretariat role with another state-owned corporation. It was actually in the water space and also the electricity space. And uh, I was actually in that role for a couple of years. That's when I really started knowing that once I, dare I say, you know, stepped in and really cleaned up and up-leveled, that as soon as maintenance, the maintenance of that environment started or was required, you know, at the beginning I was fine, but I was just not being true to myself and I wasn't playing where I really felt I was best able to, to yeah. serve others, so... I love that you realize that about yourself. I, I think sometimes we stay in jobs because, and I did the same, um, you stay in jobs because you're good at it, but it doesn't mean that you love it, but you know, you can do it and that people really see you in these roles and they want that continuity and it's just not as fulfilling. Look, I think you're right. And I think it's one of those things too, as you get older, uh, as I'm getting older, certainly, I think life's short and I know it's easy to say, do what you love every day. But I think it's one of those things where when you've got this very careful balance, and look, I got paid really well for what I did in corporate environments. I got paid super well. But the cost of the cost over time, especially with a young family, I was working 60-hour weeks, you know, 60-hour weeks, and with a young family, over time the cost to me was <laughs> it started getting even and then it started getting not worth it yeah. because yeah. because I didn't actually have you know, we everyone talks about work-life balance and life-work balance and all, all that kind of thing. But I was actually finding that at, at some point in time, something switched and changed in me where I felt like I was serving others more than I was actually serving myself. Mm-hmm. And I am a natural, equal and fair exchange person, or I like to think I am. Um, I'm not always perfect at it, but I also believe that the people working around us are doing the very best they can every single day even though you might expect better from them or whatever else, they are where they are. And I just found that I had these little a little awakenings over time that just went, it's just not for me. And I really love dipping in, co-creating, supporting, embedding, yeah. and then moving on to the next. And that they can call me back, you know, they can call me back when they're ready to up-level or to mm-hmm. get another level of maturity. I coach, I train, I guide, I lead. And it's just... It just sits better. It's just the life that I think I've always needed to lead. So that's how I've kind of landed where I've landed. Are you in a new role or transitioning to a new role soon? Have you thought about how you will transition into your new role intentionally? How do you create boundaries to sustain your energy and prioritize the things that matter most to you? How would it feel to go into your new role feeling prepared with an intentional plan to prioritize the most important things and still have energy to tackle the things that will inevitably come your way? These are the kinds of things that leaders are working on in the Catch Crew. The Catch Crew is our community to build your career intentionally, whether that means transitioning into a new role, building or reinforcing your team culture, or planning your next role. When you join, you get instant access to career transition tools, including Values First, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, Values First. You'll get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. That's thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. We're having our next monthly catch up soon. Can't wait to see you there. I love that you had that clarity and I think understanding the roles that you had in corporate brought another level of like clarity into, okay, what is this 
governance and where is it in the organization that I am in, I'd love to go another level deeper. So the clients that you work with now, um, I would imagine senior leadership teams, boards, those kinds of things. And I wonder, do they come to you with like, hey, here's this governance thing? Or do they come to you saying, hey, here's this thing that's happening. Is it governance? Like how, how do people, what are, what problems do they present? And then what is reality? Yeah, look, really, really great question, Laura. It's one of those things where a lot of leadership coaches, I and mean, everyone gets training on leadership and all that kind of thing. A lot of leadership coaches, dare I say, are being a little bit remiss in supporting their uh, clients in recognising that governance is an underlying part of leadership. So there's a lot of leadership frameworks out there um, that are being applied that are amazing frameworks for leadership that aren't actually recognising that every leader in the organisation, regardless of whether you're a team leader of three people or a leading hand or whatever else, they still have an accountability for governing oversight. And so one one of the things that tends to happen is that leaders not recognising that they've got a governance problem. And so typically I'll have people pick up the phone and go, hi, I've got this going on. I'm just starting a new business unit. Um, you know, we're an offshoot of a, of a traditional company. Our risk appetite's different and special. We're supposed to go out there and hit goals. And I'm just really worried about it. And our COSEC's not on the same page. And some of our general managers don't really want us to do this. But the board has said we have to go off and do this new, magical, wonderful thing. What do we do? And so it really comes back to, and this is the conversations I have with them, what part are you really worried about the most? Well, I don't have buy-in from key stakeholders. I don't know how to get decisions made because some of the leaders aren't on board and it's it's hard for me to get a leader higher than me <laughs> on board with something that the board said without running around and having to say the board said the board said they want me to do this so you just have to say yes and actually bringing people on board and understanding where the lines and accountabilities and decision making actually lies. And so I actually end up spending a lot of time helping leaders navigate their own governance environment so they can be really clear about what delegations, what decision-making they can make, what decision-making has to go to others, and what would support others in making decisions that are going to support the outcomes the organisation needs. Because naturally, we we all have our own risk appetites. And if we're not, you know, if we're in an organisation where the board said they want something to happen and I'm a general manager, it's like I'm not going to support or, or approve that, there's lots of very, very typically very, very good reasons why. And those reasons are typically around risk. So even the most fundamental recognition of how to manage a risk framework and how to mitigate risk to enable people to move beyond the fear of doing something because they don't believe it's going to work or they don't believe it's the right thing for the business is a really foundational element. So we define these lines really nicely. Um, I like to, I'm a one-pager person, I like to do it on a page and I like to be able to enable my clients for them to be able to have that one pager and, you know, when they are knocking on a general manager's door that's not quite on the same page as them, they can sit down and go, hey, you know, I'm here and you're here and this is what the board's asked for and this is how it's going to work and this is where the decision-making lies and this is what I need from you. Tell me what you need from me to make a really great decision. And normally, Laura, it is insights from the governing frameworks of the business that actually supports them in doing that. So, for example, the results of risk assessments, the status of the treatment plans around whether we're closing out certain risks in a timely way before a general manager or someone like that actually wants to put their name and, you know, sign on the dotted line because their signatures are worth something and they are protecting and defending in the best way they can. So it's um, it's typically that kind of stuff. They're awake at night and they just, they're not recognising that they have governance challenges, but they haven't been able to get the question answered or the issue resolved from other consultants or other leaders that they've spoken to. Thank you so much for that example. I think that's a really great example to just show how not easy it is, but with the right framework. And I imagine the right kind of levers for a business because I, yeah. I I imagine, do you find that some organizations have too many layers and then some have too few or we're working with the wrong levers or those kinds of things? 
Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And and every organization, even though <laughs> it's the reality of every organization, we have the organizational hierarchy and then we have the political hierarchy. And recognizing and navigating the political hierarchy is a lot harder for, for a lot of leaders. And what I find is that some leaders don't want to give kudos to the political hierarchy. But the reality is that that political hierarchy and the level of influence it has enables governance to be effectively applied because, you know, it does matter that uh, one of the senior managers in one of the teams happens to have a direct line to the chairman. It does matter. We'd like to think it doesn't and it shouldn't, but the reality is that it does. And so uh, there's different ways to be able to handle and manage that because, you know, you can speak to the chairman as a stakeholder and say, we're doing X, Y, Z, I'd love your insights and ask them, is there anyone else in the business you'd like us to speak to? And if the chairman so feels that you need to go to that senior manager to get their insights, that's what you do because you know that they have influence over decision-making, even though they don't necessarily have delegations or formalised power and authority. It's not ideal, but it's the realities of life even for a lot of businesses where they're family run and they've got their um, sons, daughters, nieces, nephews all scattered all through the business, whatever happens in the business gets back to the owner over, you know, during Sunday lunch, <laughs> even <laughs> though there's an organisational hierarchy and whatever else. And so creating really great cultures and environments where there's openness and transparency, where the owner of the business already knows what's going on and he doesn't, he doesn't have to rely on his niece or his son or his daughter to tell them what's happening because the hierarchy naturally escalates matters of significance up to the owner anyway because that's part of the, the framework and the uh, the decision-making and the transparency that is created. So it's all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I am, um, oh, my goodness, I could talk to you about this all day. It is just so interesting, this the interwovenness of what you just said, the political or organizational savvy that you need, uh, stakeholder management, and just clear like rules of the road all um, after I haven't talked to you about this, but I'd love to during the, your presentation in the, your lecture in the class, in our class, I was brought like viscerally back to this memory that I had when I was on a leadership team and I was like, oh my gosh, if we just had clear, and we, we talked about governance a ton at this organization yeah. I was at, but there was one example where there was a, it felt like a misunderstanding and I felt almost like my character was attacked. Right. Yeah. And it's just so interesting. The decisions that you get to make or don't get to make versus like what others perceptions are. So I'll, I'll give you the, the short story. Like basically I was in a, a senior leadership role. My team worked with it and we worked with uh, a client to roll out this system. I did not have budgetary responsibility for the system. IT did. And IT didn't have stakeholder management because my team did. And so we got some feedback that wasn't awesome on the system. So we're doing like, you know, who who got to make the decision on who on do we fund this moving forward or not? Um, and whose decision was it? And when we were doing this like deep dive, you know, the, you know, other people assumed that I had like lots of stake in this system. Like, oh, she loves that system so much. She's gonna just, and it wasn't even that expensive, a very small portion of my overall budget. And um, I was like, I'm not married to this system. I want what works for the client. Like I don't own the budget. I didn't like, I don't have governance over this. And the, the transparency was like, oh, I thought you own the budget. I was like, no, I don't own it. You know, this, it's in IT's budget. And it's yeah. just so interesting, all the assumptions that we bring with us to these things on who owns the budget, who owns yeah. the decision, who owns the stakeholder relationship. And that all could have been cleared up like so easily, but instead it became this like tangled knot where like, like different people's competence and like intentions were called into question. My values were called into question. I was like, what is happening? What is going on? Oh, look, I, I totally get you. I totally feel you. I really do. With a lot of these types of dynamics, well, first of all, IT is an enabler. Delivering IT systems is an enabler to a business process issue or a problem. And so when IT are enablers, 
they are actually making the call on what's what the solution is that's going to best suit the client's needs. And uh, it's easy to look at these kinds of dynamics in hindsight, I know, but when it comes to projects or programs of work, I really love to have a one-pager up front around who are the players and where do they play? Mm-hmm. What authority or what authority do they have? What responsibility and authority do they have? And also get really, really clear, and this is something that I'm sure you've spoken about in the past, the difference between accountability and responsibility. Yes, let's talk about racy. Yeah, because account- accountability yeah. is different to responsibility, as you no doubt now know. And when I see projects and programs going pear-shaped, it's because they don't have one accountable person. And that's when all that, you know, in hindsight, everyone just kind of points to each other and goes, I assumed it was Laura, I thought it was Lisa. You know, Lisa's all over it. Lisa's always all over everything. And therefore it must, you know, the buck must stop back with her. Whereas when you were really, really clear about who's play, who are the players, where are they playing, what are they accountable for and what are they responsible for, right up front we can get very, very clear and say, okay, custom, the stakeholders aren't quite where we need them to be around this solution. Understanding and gaining customer insights as stakeholders in your space, but having those insights um, and having those needs hit the mark is IT space. Yeah. And so getting really clear about, well, okay, what were the requirements and what, how are each of those requirements going to be met? Um, and were the, were the requirements actually satisfying that need or not is in IT space. So it's one of those things where hindsight is a lovely thing. It's always 2020. Isn't it? It is, it is, it is. So it's a wonderful thing. But I believe like, you know, everything in life, there's all lessons, there's lessons. And so I've, I've just found that, you know, as even though I say my, I feel my role in life is to share my knowledge, skills and experience with others. What I'm really sharing is all those lessons that I've learned so that others don't get the scars on their back that I've got on mine. And yeah. we're all carrying scars. We are all carrying them. We oh, really for, for sure. And I will tell you, we did, we actually had a racy. So we had who was responsible, who is accountable, who isn't, who is consulted and who is informed. And that was a, um, something that we all had to do, but I think there was the next level detail of that. It was not as well thought out as you just described. And I think that was even almost like a fallacy because we had, we're like, well, we did the decision rates work. Like yeah. how, how come this still happened? It's one of those things where sometimes we do things just to tick and flick. It's like risk assessments. Yeah. Got to do a, you know, The next hurdle we've got to get through before we get to do the sexy, exciting stuff is a risk assessment. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah, risk is done. You know, that hurdle's done. Now let's do the exciting, you know, the sexy, exciting stuff, especially if we, and I will be honest, in the IT space, there's different kinds of IT delivery groups. There are groups that like to stay on the proven edge. There are groups that like to stay on the bleeding edge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those bleeding edge guys and gals, good on them because they move technology forward, which is amazing, but they're actually doing it with risk. And their actions and their inactions and decisions, the, you know, there has to be really clear really great clarity around that but the tick and flick it's it doesn't embed it's kind of like the equivalent of saying I meditate twice a day I sit there for 10 minutes but I'm actually not really meditating I'm just defragging before I can even get on to my next meeting as opposed to really having a deep beautiful meditation session where I feel like I've transcended and reset my mind and my body um, to move on with my day it's kind of kind of you know that equivalent so that compliance to conflict thing doing all that work and not getting deep enough to make it meaningful unfortunately it's one of those lessons a lot of people a lot of businesses have um have experienced yeah it's it's interesting too because if we had a question about it okay well let's go back to the racy like we could have like we've done that we could have had lots of conversations and I'm just using this example, but I think it's another thing like we didn't use the tools. Okay, well, let's go back to it and see whose decision it was. Did we not outline it? Should we have instead what happened was we just didn't use the tools that we even said that we built. It was just, it was a really interesting case study as I was thinking through it. And I was like, wow, we really didn't trust the frameworks or each other it was it's just it's fascinating and that's just like one one thing right yeah look at look it is it is and it's one of those things where you know 
we need to design well before we construct. Yeah. And when we design well, we, when we design well, everyone's aligned and on the same page. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't, we're in such a hurry to construct or there's such a pressure on us to construct, we haven't designed. But what 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 I find really fascinating and interesting is when it comes to talking about these types of dynamics, and your, your example is a great example of some corporate BS that played out. It was BS that you guys all had to work through, guys and gals. How long do you carry it? How long do you carry it? How long ago was that? Um, that was years ago. And I am still not happy about the fact that it happened because it it questioned my character. Yeah, yeah. And especially <laughs> when it comes to things around personal integrity. Yeah. Keep in mind, governance, governance the, the formation, you know, governance is about the use of power and authority and decision making. Yes. And it's, you know, it's the processes and policies and systems that enable authority to be, to be exercised. That's what governance is at all levels. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about government or with inside organisations and companies. When it comes to decision making, there are several things leaders need to use. Using governing insight, the insights from the uh, governance frameworks, the, the ecosystem that they have, the data is really, really valuable to support leaders in their decision making. And it isn't just because organizations don't want their leaders to use their gut there's a level of safety when leaders are using all of those insights to support as part of their overarching decision making because it's not actually I just felt like it was the right decision to make and therefore I made it and then when people come back afterwards and say why did you make that decision Laura I just felt like it was the right thing in our home lives in our home environments our intuition plays a much, much bigger part around our decision-making, also data as well, but not as much. In work environments, when you've got great governance around you and you're applying great governance, it's a show-me and not a tell-me process. Mm. So when you are actually called into question later, like any audit, any review, you've got great governance when you can show how decisions are being made. And I'm not suggesting for a single moment that leaders shouldn't use their intuition and their insights and their past experiences and all of those things are very, very important aspects of decision making, but there needs to be some really great logical demonstration of how decisions are made. Great governance creates decision making environments to support people making decisions. So that that question you asked around, you know, who made the decision that they were going to go with this system or whatever else, your decision making environment should have demonstrated that. Your governance environment should demonstrate it and it should be a show me these are the systems we considered we went with number two because the price was right the timing mm-hmm. was right, the solution was right the but you know etc 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 it integrated with other systems etc etc the show me's are there as opposed to the tell me's because as soon as you jump into tell me land it's lisa's fault it's laura's fault it's the fault of you know xyz because we've got nothing to show so mm-hmm. we're just going to so we're just going to tell. And when we tell, we're conditioned to tell to protect ourselves and to jump to con- conclusions. And it's much better for some people, not for everyone, because there are a lot of really, really great high integrity people out there. But unfortunately for some people, especially when they're they're feeling a bit wobbly and a bit um, unsure about how, I, how did I make that decision and now they're telling me it's the wrong one and I don't have show me's, it's easier for me to divert attention to someone else than it is for me to own the fact that I may have actually done the wrong thing. Yeah. It's so interesting. One of the things that you just said, you said, you know, if you're using it, you feel safe in the decisions that you made. And secure. And maybe the data is wrong, but you still had something foundational, right? So yeah. And I am reflecting back on that moment. Like I felt as a group, I felt safe in the decisions that we made, but I did not feel safe when they said, when they questioned it, I guess, because um, we ju- we weren't using the same frameworks. And I mean, maybe that's really what it is. And and you had the right paper trail to, and I'm not suggesting that things have to be really heavy handed. I'm personally a right brain person. That's why I love my visual one pages, mm-hmm. because this is how we make every decision and every decision that gets made we keep a file note and we had minutes, we had a meeting and this is where the decision was made, et cetera, et cetera. And that's yeah. how, um, that's how, you know, everything kind of plays out. And you can always go back to this consistent, controlled, managed decision-making environment because you could have gone back to, a, you know, go back through the meeting minutes to say at what point did that decision get made around that particular product or 
it was a joint decision between the stakeholder team and the IT team, and it was done on the 17th mm-hmm. of February. It was on the 17th of February, and here are the variables that we considered before we made that decision. Again, hindsight's always 2020, but it's more than leadership. Leadership is a responsibility that we take on as managers. That underlying part of effective leadership is governing oversight and being really clear about where we play in our roles and how we play and whether we've got the authority to play where we need to is a really foundational element. So they were giving you authority you didn't have, Laura, for something that you weren't responsible for. It's so interesting. You said it very simply. And it's interesting as you get in these senior roles, I think a lot of times you're asked to make these really big decisions and you think you have the authority. And at a lot of these times, and I see this all the time in the people that I coach, they bring people in specifically for do this job. This is what we need. The board wants you to do this. But then the systems do not support that authority at all. It's an interesting dynamic when it comes to decision-making, you know, because it's one thing to have the power to be able to do it. And it's another thing to have the personal risk appetite to actually do it. Great organisations, when they implement a, a risk framework, they've actually stated what the risk appetite is for the business. And that appetite needs to be applied, regardless of whether our personal appetite is, you know, well above or well below wherever they're drawing those lines. And I've been in environments where there's 40, 50 leaders and, you know, 40 leaders have to sign off on this particular business case or whatever it is that's, you know, circulating around the place. And sometimes leaders will sit on them for weeks, not because they have a problem with it, but because they believe their signature is worth something and they're just too scared to decide. Mm. And it's actually part of their job to decide. It's their job to decide yes and it's their job to decide no. And They just don't because their risk appetite is so much lower than that of the board. And for me, as a governance professional, it does come back to a couple of things. That leader may need some coaching to really understand what the knock-on effect is to their decision-making, or they're not quite, unfortunately, at the level they need to be to be able to make those tough decisions. They're not emotionally at that level yet. They might have this knowledge and the skills and experience, and they might have been the next senior leader to get that next level job or whatever the, their dynamics are. But if they're not able to make a decision in a timely and reasonable way, regardless of whether it's for or against, they're actually not in the right role. And they don't have the knowledge, skills and experience that they need to be able to discharge their accountabilities which means that organisations, people in organisations need to have some tough conversations last time, you know, sometimes because they're just, leaders just don't feel like, they don't feel they're equipped and they don't see themselves because they love the idea of them being at that level and, you know, they need the money and all all those reasons why people take on these roles are there. But if the work is not contributing to organisational outcomes that are driving them towards their strategic goals, then you don't have the right humans around you and it's hard really, really hard. Yeah. So you need that right level, that match level of risk. And then you also need, even if you have that, but you don't have the systems to support them making those decisions. If I find a lot of the times that the systems are slowing the people down. They're slowing them down. So that, so the, which is actually not a bad thing because it means that those people are in the right roles for the right reasons. They do have the drive. They do have the right level of risk appetite. They want to get in and do that, but the systems are slowing them down because they're governance environment hasn't been set up to effectively deliver outcomes and again it's another it's another one of those dynamics and to be really to really frank with you when it comes to this corporate bs that i talk about there are really three reasons why it happens the first reason i find is that leaders do the best they can but they're just misapplying governance because they don't really understand it or get it and they also don't know what the knock-on effect is or don't understand or want to understand what the knock-on effect is to misapplying it So everyone has to jump over these hurdles and go through these wacky doodle processes just to get decisions made, which is slowing them down, as you said. The second reason why it happens, I see from time to time, is that leaders recognise they need to apply governance and they go off and do generic training courses. So they'll go off and, you know, find out how a, um, you know, a listed company needs to deliver governance, even though they're a small, you know, privately owned business and go and put these big, heavy governance requirements over the top of this business that just doesn't need all that heaviness and all of that red tape. So they're misapplying it because they're not getting that 
governance is horses for courses. Every business needs something different. Right. And uh, to really understand what that looks and feels like means that you really need to understand the environment, the culture, as well as um, how to best effectively make, um, you know, deliver outcomes. The third um, reason, which is a reason that I'd like to say I'm seeing a little bit less of, but to be honest, I'm kind of not. And that is leaders who are using the governance framework to throw their power and authority around. Ooh, say more about that one. Yeah, so what I'm saying is that there are leaders out there who are um, very ego-based. They're coming from a place where the more power and authority they have and the more they can control decision-making of others, the better they feel about themselves as well as the bigger and you know more powerful and all the rest of it. So what tends to happen is that those leaders will set up delegation frameworks and get approval by the board or they are the board because they're the owner of the business all the decisions go back to them. No one has any power or authority to make any decision. Everything, all roads lead back to them. And what they're actually doing is a disservice to themselves because it means that they're constantly in that martyrdom world where everyone hits me from all sides and I, you know, I can't get anything done. And everyone keeps coming to me all the time. And it's because of their own design of their governance framework. And the other thing too, which is even sadder, is that organizations are paying leaders really, really good money to do work. And they're not actually getting the outcomes they need from those leaders because they're not enabling them to do their jobs. And so there are a couple of different motives that these ego leaders tend to sort of, they're kind of underlying. And the biggest one I find is trust. They just don't trust anyone else. They only trust themselves. And sometimes they don't even trust themselves. And so they have all decisions come back to them and some of them are easy. They'll make the decisions so people can go off and do the doing. Um, and they want people around them that are compliant and do what they're told and not actually paid to think. And the other thing too is that if they just don't trust, they'll just sit on things and um, it'll just delay the delivery of the outcomes for the business that they really want to achieve. And so um, it's it's hard. It's it's hard for those types of leaders to, you know, wake up one day and realise that they're creating a really, really hard job for themselves and also for everyone else because um, for whatever reason, that aspect of themselves has come out and they can't let go of the power and all the authority and they're out there. They're still out there. I can think of a couple in my, yeah, exactly. in my career. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because when I first started my business, I thought I was best, I knew I could best serve those leaders, those ego-based leaders to, to support them in putting really, really great balanced heart-centered governing leadership in their organizations. And when I say heart-centered, I don't mean bleeding heart. I mean really true intentioned governance, put great true intentioned governance in place so that everyone wins. And, but what I found was that for a lot of those leaders, they're actually still asleep. They're not awake. I need those leaders who kind of wake up one day and realize that they can't go on the way they're currently going on, but they just don't know which way to turn or which way to go next. And it's those leaders that um, come to me from time to time to say, our governance is really bad. They might not see themselves and go, I, I've actually done it all. <laughs> you know, I've done it all. <laughs> I did it all myself. Um, sometimes leaders do. Um, when I go into organisations, uh, Laura, leaders need to own what's going on now to be able to own what needs to happen for the future. And it's not about the blame game and it's certainly not about me going in and judging them for what they do and don't have. It's more about recognising that I I come in to support and provide a very, very different perspective that they don't have as part of their leadership um, skill sets. And so working with leaders that have, you know, got some awareness that part of the reason why that's all a bit wacky is because I just, I made decisions in the moment and, you know, I put governance... A lot of them put governance in place and then they just they don't maintain it. So, you know, eight years later, the same policy is still sitting there and it just hasn't worked for everyone, forever. So everyone's just working around it or pretending it doesn't exist now. And that's not great governance just because you've got a policy that no one's following. It's, you know, eight years old. So it's all that kind of thing that really makes a big difference to people's daily lives when they come to work every day. And that's what it comes back to for me. We want people to be really happy. I love how you have, you've taken and defined governance really as a, it, it feels like it should really just be this new leadership capability that you should be really good at 
or know how to get good at um, at certain levels of the organization. And I really, really appreciate your thought leadership here. I cannot wait for your podcast and your book. And it's just it's just uh, topics that are just so timely and timeless. Timely and timeless. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. I, as you can tell, even though uh, for a lot of people this governance stuff seems like a you know a bit boring and overkill and all the rest of it, I'm really passionate about making it right for everyone. And um, I think a lot of the reason why people feel that way about it is because we've we've all been in so many environments where this stuff has been done so poorly. Yes. And our, our tolerance levels for the BS are really, really low. And even thinking about it, I know business leaders that have decided not to put any governance into their businesses because they've been, you know, they've been in environments for so long where it's just been so wrong that they just don't even want to deal with it in their own environment. But unfortunately, what I do know is that at some point in time, things will catch up to them and they'll need to start doing it. But doing it in a way that honours everyone involved so that everyone wins and they are being supported by really great oversight so thank you for having me Laura I really appreciate it it's been a wonderful chat and it's gone so fast too time goes so fast when we chat I know I agree well we're gonna have to have you back and we'll dig in even more but how and where should we connect with you so uh, best place to connect with me is um, well, two places. First of all, on my website, which is www.governancecollective.com.au. And I encourage anyone who would like to chat with me, especially if they're staying awake at night, to jump on to a free complimentary uh, discovery call with me. You'll find some links there on my site for you to be able to do that. Um, and I'm also really happy to uh, connect with any of your listeners on LinkedIn. And you'll find me uh, there as Lisa Coletta. And uh, I'm a governance change leader. So you'll, you'll see that there as well. Well, thank you. And we're going to put all of that in the show notes. I just want to thank you so much again and really just value our partnership. Oh, as I do too. Thank you again. And I look forward to talking again really soon. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.